Hi, this is Matt Trueblood, back for another episode of the Trueblood Baseball Podcast. It's Wednesday, January 23rd. Uh, we're still all sort of basking in the glow of the elections yesterday of Roy Halladay and Mariano Rivera, of whom we were sure, and Edgar Martinez, of whom we were only slightly less sure. And for me, probably the most exciting one, because I don't have a particularly personal attachment to any of these four, uh, was Mike Mussina, because he's simply very, very good, and so very clearly belongs in Cooperstown. It was an overdue honor, but I'm glad he secured it. So we have a very large Hall of Fame class set to be inducted this coming summer. It's definitely a good thing. It's I know there are people who are worried about the hall sort of veering from too restrictive to too inclusive. Um, not only with guys who have been considered to be sort of right on the cut line, like Martinez and Musina, but obviously the more liberalized uh, version of the Veterans Committee has put in two players each of the last two years. And in, I think, three of those four cases... The writers had pretty clearly and perhaps properly rejected them. Uh, but we do now have Lee Smith and Harold Baines and Alan Trammell and Jack Morris in the hall. I think we're getting to a good place. I'm, I'm very much a big hall guy. And uh, although I have real questions about how Jack Morris is the one who's first in line to get that open slot in the Hall of Fame compared to many, many starters from his era and the one sort of since then who have been held out. Guys like, I mean, just the most notable example that springs to mind for me is Kevin Brown. Um, Still, it's it's good to see this kind of loosening up and to see both Musina and Halliday elected this year because... In my opinion, modern starting pitchers are dramatically underrepresented in the hall. And I think we're going to see that change starting with these two um, and hopefully widening to include some names of some of the guys with smaller innings counts, either because of the nature of the modern game or because of injuries. Uh, Guys like Johan Santana, even Roy Oswalt might get more serious consideration when they come around for uh, a longer look from whatever the Veterans Committee looks like for them in several years. Um, But also guys like Andy Pettit, who barely stayed on the ballot. I think he had 9% of the votes when they were all tallied yesterday. Uh, But he did stay on the ballot, and that's a very good thing in my opinion. Pettit is... (laughs) You can't just say... Oh, he's better than this one guy, so he clearly belongs in the Hall of Fame. But Pettit is demonstrably superior to Tom Glavin, a near-perfect contemporary who did pitch more than Pettit, but was hardly ever better. Um, Some of the very surface-level numbers might say that he was. And, of course, he got to some milestones that Pettit didn't. But I think... Now that we know the ways in which Glavin was supported by teammates that Pettit perhaps wasn't as well, um, some of the more advanced statistics that have come along, but that still 
you know, tell us something meaningful and accurate about that past era, Glavin is one good example of several, I think, of why Pettit belongs in the Hall of Fame. We'll get into that argument more next year. I, I don't want to start a new Hall of Fame argument on the day after the announcement of four new Hall of Famers. We can finally set that aside and look forward to baseball season. So let's pivot to baseball season, and it's rushing on. It, tomorrow will mark nine weeks out from opening day, and that's shocking when you think about all of the things that are still unsettled for so many teams around the league. Not to just spend this podcast quoting another podcast, but if you haven't listened to Brandon Warren's Midwest Swing with Mike Berardino as the guest from, I believe, the tail end of last week, you should. Uh, Berardino goes through his Hall of Fame column and they dig into some of that. Obviously, if that's not an argument you're interested in anymore, you can sort of skim through there. But one of the really cogent conversations that they have is around the twins, um, who Berardino pointed out only have $300,000 firmly committed to any player beyond this coming season of 2019. And that's Nelson Cruz's option buyout, a very cheap buyout, by the way. Again, something we can talk about another time. Uh, That is all the Twins technically have on the books. And yeah, that is a technicality of sorts. They'll have probably a greater than usual number of players passing through arbitration in various stages uh, next season. But it is telling and it is important because the other part of the story with the Twins is that they have this large core that is without a true surefire superstar at its head um, with a lot of guys who where the error bars seem to be quite wide yet, even though they've had considerable big league experience. I'm obviously talking about Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton, probably less obviously talking about Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco. We simply don't know whether the Twins are going to want any of these guys, whether they're going to want to build a team around them, shove them into complementary sort of secondary roles, or move on from them altogether by the end of this coming season. Um, And the fact that they don't know that about some of the most important players on their team, and that even though even the guys that you know you're going to want to commit to for the relative long term, a person like Jose Barrios, uh, Barrios, there's still some volatility there or just some things that need to come together before you know whether he's an ace or just a solid number two who's going to eat innings and you know some days he'll look dominant other days he'll be a more of that workhorse that doesn't overwhelm i mentioned it all because the twins are also running a payroll considerably below what they should be able to spend and of course you can say that about just about every team these days but it's maybe especially galling in the Twins' case. We're talking about a gap of $30 million at least. I mean, this team's projected payroll at the moment is right around $100 million, 
whether you believe it's a little below or a little above shouldn't matter. Uh, this is a team that can easily spend 130, 140 million dollars. Heck, they'd still be a profitable endeavor if they spent 150 or more. But just within the realm of matching up with the spending of other teams throughout baseball, they should be spending like a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado salary more money than they currently have committed to this year's roster. And that's without mentioning that they have nothing locked up for next year's roster. A couple of their most important starting pitchers are going to depart after this coming season, or they may or may not depart, but I'm talking about Kyle Gibson and Jake Odorizzi. Both are due to become free agents. They have to keep that in mind, and they certainly seem to be doing so. I think part of this is we're not going to commit money unless it gets us starting pitching locked up beyond 2019 because all they can say for sure beyond 2019 in that rotation is that Barrios will be at its head. But boy, it seems like it seems like there's money to spend there and like they've missed an opportunity to spend it aggressively. Uh, whether you think they should have upgraded their bullpen, I know that was sort of a consensus coming into the offseason for them. Uh, the entire Twins blogosphere was expecting that this team would go out and make some kind of splash in the reliever market. They've now essentially missed entirely on their chance to do so. If you didn't, if you felt as I did, I think all along, that what really could use some stabilizing or, and, you know, kind of a bump in terms of what their ceiling would be as a unit, it was their rotation. Well, they've perhaps not missed their chance there yet because there is Dallas Keuchel, or if you want to shop a little lower, you know, the Wade Miley's of the world are still out there, and some starting pitching that you still might be able to shake loose from other teams' rosters. But that latter option is the kind of thing that normally would happen in November or around the winter meetings when you're still, the entire league is still sort of shaping its roster, still trying to figure out and decide how to balance the scarcity of resources and the need to make certain improvements. The Twins could have matched up with a number of teams on a deal if they were thinking it's time to move on from Kepler or Rosario or even Sano if they felt like his value had rebounded enough to draw a decent return. They could have made a trade centered around one of those guys and gotten back a starting pitcher who, whom some other team might feel they weren't able to get the most out of, like a Sonny Gray who just went to the Reds or... Uh, even aim higher with James Paxton, who ended up with the Yankees. I'm not saying the Twins should have made either of those particular moves. But it seems clear to me that they missed an opportunity by trying to be opportunistic rather than proactive. And I bring this up because it's my chief complaint about where teams, how teams are behaving in this marketplace that we're in. Whether you believe there's collusion going on or not, whether you believe that there is something fundamentally broken about the behavior of teams in the free agent marketplace this winter or not, teams just aren't taking. <laughs> there are smart chances out there to be taken, calculations and transactions to be had 
that would set teams up to to have a little more of a chance to be exciting and good in the coming season. And they're passing them up in the name of sort of fiscal responsibility, hyper-efficiency, waiting to see what sort of falls into their lap. The Twins were one of the major... Uh, one of the major culprits of this last winter when, you know, they kind of sat on their heels and ended up gobbling up some guys near the end of the offseason. That was Odorizzi in trade with the Rays, but also Lance Lynn and Logan Morrison, none of which worked. Not really. And uh, I don't know why they think it's going to work better this year. We've seen them sit back, let the reliever market kind of move past them, and then snatch up Blake Parker let the starter market kind of move past them, and then snatch up Martin Perez. Nelson Cruz was a fine addition, but it's far too little. And it's almost now too late for this Twins team to take the opportunity that was in front of them. I am not necessarily a guy who thinks the Indians are going to take three steps backward this season, as I know a lot of people do. I'm not quite as down on the Indians plan as some others are that all changes if they decide to trade uh cory kluber or trevor bauer i don't see any reason why they should at this point they've already saved the money they need to save if i were them i'd now be trying to maximize my chance of winning a world series before this core breaks up but i digress the point with the twins is not you have a chance to catch the indians because they're vulnerable it's if you feel like you know which of your players, and you've had two full seasons now to scout them, to try to understand them, to get to know them, if you feel like you know which guys are going to be part of your next championship core, lock them up or don't. They may not be open to that, but sit on them, move them into that sort of untouchable phase, and then start moving other pieces around. Find ways to make the roster you have more effective and more high upside, I guess. There are some teams that are doing that well in this very, very strange marketplace. We saw the Brewers take a similar sort of wait-and-see approach but get it exactly right last winter because they aimed much higher. The Twins are aiming too low, and that's how you end up with only $300,000 committed beyond this coming season, a season in which their payroll's already lean. What everything screams out for at this moment is for the Twins to go and either sign Manny Machado, sign Bryce Harper, or sign Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. Because they have the long-term maneuverability and the short-term payroll flexibility. But there is no evidence that they are planning to do anything of that sort. And it's very frustrating. And again, I bring it up partially because I'm walking through the cold of a Minnesota morning right now to talk to you. So this is uh, an issue close to home for me. But also because it's sadly typical. There are teams doing all sorts of silly things across baseball right now. I think teams making bad business first decisions that don't help them as a baseball product. And in the medium term, don't help them as a business product. But the Twins are 
one of the most galling because it seems like their inaction is born as much out of indecision as anything else. I think that if Derek Falvey and Thad Levine wanted to go and convince ownership to make a major outlay so they could improve this team and push for a division title in 2019, that they could have done it. I think they're not doing it because they don't feel any confidence about the roster that they have. They don't know who's going to be good. They don't know who's going to be bad. They don't want to make the wrong move. They do want to maximize value. I get where that approach comes from. That's basically what we've been running toward as, a, as an industry ever since you know, the Indians front office became the model on which all other front offices were built 20, 25 years ago. But it's simply bad. <laughs> it's not fun to watch unfold as a fan. It is probably not the appropriate tactical strategy as a decision maker. You got to get aggressive at a certain point. And I can't do any sort of roster math or any moving around of the pieces here to form a puzzle that says that the Twins' time hasn't come. This is their time to get aggressive. That might not mean signing the major free agents, although at this point that's almost the only option they have left. It could have meant deciding that Byron Buxton simply wasn't going to figure it out in Minnesota and then going and finding the team that is most confident that he'll figure it out with them and making a good trade and moving on, looking at A.J. Pollock as a center fielder, something like that. I'm baffled and frustrated, not only with the Twins, with several other teams too. I think most of you know I'm a Cubs fan, and I've been lobbying on Twitter for the Cubs to consider being a dark horse entrant into the JT Ryle Muto sweepstakes because Wilson Contreras is a poor framer whose bat has been inconsistent and who doesn't do anything with a whole lot of polish and, you know, brilliance. There's a ton of potential. There's great personality and charisma. He's younger than Real Muto. He's under team control for two more seasons. and He's considerably cheaper, but he's inarguably worse. And if the Cubs would just center a deal around Contreras, add an Ian Happ or even one of their top two position player prospects in the minors, Nico Horner or Miguel Amaya, be willing to sweeten the deal with some minor league arm. They don't have anyone they should be staying up nights over letting go in such a deal. They could add the best catcher in baseball to a team that is already a co-favorite in the National League Central. These are the things I'm talking about. I worry that somewhere along the way, analysis, humility, waiting for sample sizes, focusing on efficiency, that the sharp intellectual, you know, the keen eye for a good deal that defines the modern baseball executive turned from an advantage to not only a competitive disadvantage, but a major bummer where teams just don't want to take any chances anymore. They don't want to make a decision until they're absolutely forced to. 
They want to keep as much flexibility as they can. They want to bring in as much profit for their owners as they can. They'd like to win games, but I'm not... These people are all... They know more about baseball than I do. Surely they can see that just sitting and waiting forever isn't a way to win games consistently. So I'm left with no other conclusion to draw than that they are being held back in some form by owners who don't want to spend very much uh, or by a wariness of being cornered at some future point and unable to make the decisions they want to because then the owners will get cold feet, which is kind of what is happening, depending on what you believe, with the Cubs this winter. Anyway, hopefully we're going to see some things start shaking loose in a hurry. It doesn't feel that way at all. It doesn't feel like the Marlins are within a week of trading Real Muto. It doesn't feel like Harper or Machado are within a week of finding their new homes in free agency. And there are more guys behind those. You know, we still don't know where Mike, Musta- Mike Moustakis, Marwin Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel I mentioned, a number of quality players, Pollock I mentioned, these guys are still out there. And it's because teams just don't want to make a decision anymore. Uh, whether that's financially motivated or born of a philosophy that just wasn't, uh, didn't get between old baseball execs and a fun move. It's steering the game away from what made it fun to follow the game year-round for most of its history. We'll see where that goes from here. Have a good one.